Welcome to the Love is Viral show. I'm your host, Jeanette Schneider, the founder and CEO of Live Media and the creator of the Live Pocket Coach on the Apple App Store. Our premise at Live is simple. A healthier you today leads to a healthier world tomorrow. Our guests include neuroscientists, therapists, professors, coaches, authors, yogis, speakers, entrepreneurs, and those who believe that a bigger, better life can be found at the intersection of mindfulness and science. Join me as we nerd out with a little bit of soul. The Love is Viral show is a live media production. Dr. Rebecca Ray wants to help you define your life as brave using information collected from thousands of hours of working one-on-one with clients in her private practice, talking about their innermost vulnerabilities. She realized the overwhelming need to help others in overcoming their fear. Dr. Rebecca Ray is an author, speaker, and clinical psychologist. She uses a science-backed heart and hard truth approach to helping big picture thinking female entrepreneurs live a life that's fulfilling, unapologetic, and free. In this episode, we discuss how to overcome fear, what it means to self-sabotage, the need to validate our real human experience and the suffering and discomfort that come along with it, the importance of self-awareness and knowing when we are not living a life that is consistent with who we truly want to be, and the steps needed to create a brave and courageous life that is aligned with that vision of our future self. Rebecca has been a clinical psychologist for the better part of two decades and is the creator of digital courses, including Overcoming Self-Sabotage, From Paralysis to Progress, and Radical Courage, Transforming Fear into Freedom. She's the author of The Art of Self-Kindness, The Universe Listens to Brave, and Be Happy, 35 Powerful Methods for Personal Growth and Well-Being. She can be found online daily, interacting with her community about using courage and brain potential to create an impactful business that makes a meaningful difference in the world while going gently on ourselves. Let's dig in. Hi, this is Jeanette Schneider. Welcome back to the Love is Viral show. I am here today with Dr. Rebecca Ray. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Jeanette. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I know that we've really struggled with getting our our calendars coordinated because you're in Australia, Mm -hmm. but I'm so glad that we were able to make it work. So thank you for for joining me. Um, I actually, I purchased one of your books um, called Be Happy. I have it here with me today and I absolutely adored it. I loved it. And it was funny because as I was digging into it and, and kind of paying attention to your platform, I, I'm noticing that you're digging into a couple of topics that I think for me are very interesting right now. And that's really talking about um, overcoming our fear and what it means to self-sabotage. I love that the words brave and courageous keep showing up on everything you're touching right now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of ask you why that is so interesting to you to talk to people specifically about living a brave or courageous life. When I left private practice, so I was in clinical practice for <clears throat> years, uh, close to 15 years, I think. Um, and I became really burnt out. I just had to re-establish myself in the world as a non-practicing clinical psychologist and essentially broke my own heart by having my career end in its form, in its current form, uh, seeing one-on-one clients far earlier than what I ever thought it would. I thought I'd be seeing clients until I was 75, you know. Um, But what happened was as I was thinking about how I reestablished myself and whether or not there's a message that I could potentially give the world around 
all the work that I'd done, the thousands of hours that I'd done sitting down talking with people about their innermost vulnerabilities, the thing that kept showing up for me is how do people overcome fear? Mm. And I'm not a fan of Instagram's tendency to pop a little pretty square underneath our thumbs saying just think positive. I think that entire concept is absolutely bullshit and it actually doesn't sit for me as a psychologist either because it invalidates our very real experience of suffering as human beings. And what I wanted to do then is help people to redefine their lives as brave because brave doesn't mean you don't suffer. Being courageous doesn't mean you're fearless. Um, In fact, it's quite the opposite. It means that you feel fear, but you're able to then move forward in the direction of your values and what's important to you in the service of creating something meaningful. And so that's where that comes from for me is how do we live as human beings? How do we share this human experience and fully acknowledge that it is sometimes so bloody hard um, while also finding the richness and the meaning and the purpose and the things that light us up. And so for me, that's where it's at. I love that because I have kind of argued, I have this internal battle with cliches and memes and quotes. I love them and I hate them at all the same time because it's almost like we create this pop psychology filter and we give someone a pretty font or or a GIF and we're like, here, put this on your vision board and, you know, live by that. But it's so saccharine, right? It doesn't really give them... Um, kind of the, they don't have the opportunity to really kind of sometimes dig through what's underneath that and understand that. And I really appreciate that because as human beings, we have such layered life experiences yeah. and I think giving permission to, to go deeper is such an important thing. As you were making that transition, were you yourself kind of experiencing the fear along with it as you were transitioning your practice? Oh, absolutely. I'm a professional scaredy cat. I, it's, it's what I do. (laughs) I feel scared. (laughs) I am good at fear. Um, I think the vast majority of my life, I've put myself in situations that have resulted in huge amounts of fear and anxiety. And I think that's because I just refuse to live an existence that is not living into my potential. But that doesn't mean that I've not gotten paralyzed at times. And certainly when I left psychology, when I left clinical practice, I haven't left psychology, but when I left clinical practice, I did so with absolutely no knowledge of what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I was in uh, an incredibly vulnerable place and I had to take the fear with me, you know, Uh, and, and the more you do with fear present, the wider your comfort zone grows. So I can, it's interesting that you asked that question because I can remember back to when I did my first podcast interview and I was petrified, like mm. so petrified. And now I don't even think about it. I get a message on my calendar five minutes before the interview and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing a podcast now. You know, I just grab my microphone and have a chat. It's not something that's outside of my comfort zone anymore because I've done it so often. But there are other things that I still do in my life that present fear. So I've just written a manuscript for a book that will be released at the beginning of next year, I think. And um, even sitting down to that manuscript creates fear. Will I be able to write what 
my publisher wants? Will I be able to write what my audience needs? And I would honestly say that I'm just professional at living with fear. It's what I do. I love that because I, I've, I've thought about this often. I feel, I feel very, I've remade myself. I actually just did um, a video about this where um, I've had to remake myself many times. And it's not because I was forced to, but because I was complacent or I was bored or I was realizing like there's something more for me and I don't know what that means. And I had an executive coach mench- or t- tell me about um, Siddhartha and the demon Mara and how Mara would try to pull Siddhartha from the path of enlightenment by showing him all of these things, you know, uh, whether it's food or debauchery or lust or greed. And he kept saying, I see you, Mara. And then when he finally hit enlightenment, he invited Mara to tea. And he's like, come sit, have tea. Because he he kind of invited his fear to tea. So whenever I'm going through something, I'm like, okay, this is my fear talking. Let's have tea. Like, what are you here yes. to tell me? This is information, right? And if I befriend it as opposed to hiding from it, I'm more than likely going to do something really awesome on the other side of this, right? Yes, and I love that. Yeah, it stuck with me because I was like, it's a funny visual, right? Where you're like, all right, let's have tea. What's going on here? Um, where you kind of remove your yourself from the situation and kind of hold your fear right here. Absolutely. There's a sense of detachment, but at the same time, what you're describing is a perfect visual for psychological acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's where you don't have to like the fear, but it's where you do completely accept its presence and then seek it out to find the message that it's um, trying to give you. And that message might be helpful or it might not be, you know, (laughs) because fear is normally about familiarity and safety, you know, please stay safe, please avoid discomfort at all costs, especially when that discomfort might involve the risk of failure or judgment or shame or humiliation. And that's not helpful when it comes to being able to put yourself out into the world, especially not when it's about reinventing yourself, you know? Well, and I think too, sometimes I get a little frustrated with, we were talking about pop psychology, but even in the self-help community, there's a lot of like, trust your gut, um, do this, do that. And and yeah, I believe, but you also kind of have to know the difference between your gut and intuition and your fear. And I think that there's a a beautiful little space in between where you have to figure out where those, those lie. And I'm curious from your perspective, like when you talk about self-sabotage, I want to understand a little bit more from your perspective, what that means to you. Cause I think we have a hard time of recognizing when we're doing it until after the fact, until we're the common denominator and we've done the same thing over and over and over and over again. And then we're like, Oh wait, I'm the only person who's created this scenario. But how, how could we recognize it earlier? How could we be more aware of that behavior? Sure. The reason self-sabotage happens outside of our awareness is because most habits do. And by the time self-sabotage becomes a problem, it has usually become habitual. So self-sabotage is anything that we do that gets in the way of what we want to be doing. And most of us self-sabotage. Um, and usually it's not a problem if we do it in little bits, you know, a bit of Netflix and chill here and there, um, <laughs> instead of writing the book manuscript that needs to be written. Thank you very right. much. Um, <laughs> it's not a problem as long as you know that eventually you'll get your butt in the chair and write the book. Um, but when it becomes habitual and you find that actually your time and your energy and your resources are shaped around, um, avoiding 
the things that you need and want to be doing, then what you find is you're at, your life actually um, disconnects from the values that are important to you. And you wake up one day and realize that you're not living in the way that you truly want to be living. If you were to speak with your future self, your future self is going, oh, this is not really where I see us heading. You know, if at the end of your days, you're lucky enough to sit on the side of your bed in the nursing home and reflect back on your life, um, are you going to say that you did the things that were truly meaningful to you? And self-sabotage, as it continues, means that you wouldn't be able to say that you lived in line with your values. But the thing is, human beings are experts at avoiding discomfort. It's actually about the, it's the way we're wired. So from a survival perspective, from an evolutionary perspective, we are wired to avoid any kind of pain because once upon a time, it was crucial for the continuation of our species. And so a characteristic of a species that helps it to survive strengthens over time. It doesn't weaken. And so what happens is as human beings today in 2020, even though we're facing a pandemic and life is actually very different, mm-hmm. we still have minds that constantly try to push us away from anything uncomfortable and try to keep us in our comfort zones um, in that space that is safe and familiar. But when you self-sabotage too much, what eventually happens is your comfort zone becomes anything but comfortable because you start living a life that's not consistent with who you truly want to be. And that I would assume that's kind of when like some bitterness or resentment starts to sit in because you're kind of, you're, you're not, unless you were aware, right? Unless you were aware of the fact, like for me, when I had the same type of relationships over and over again, I was like, oh, this is on me. I'm the common denominator. I've just watched the exact same scenario play out three times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix this. But there are some people who will sit in a story and then they become bitter and like, oh, there's no good men out there. There's this, that, and whatever. And one of the things that I've done, and it was funny, I wrote about it in, in the, a book I published um, about how I make decisions from my deathbed. So I imagine being on my deathbed and being like surrounded by the people in my life and mm-hmm. and kind of looking back and being like, was I happier or am I re- regretful? Like, am I experiencing regret that I didn't do this thing? Mm-hmm. And several people were like, that is so maudlin. And I'm like, no, I don't think so because she's kind of looking at me like, if I'm here with these sad people around me, you better have lived a good life. Yeah. And it's it's kind of forced me to make better decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the awareness is key, but you've obviously done a lot of work on yourself and personal growth is not new for you. These topics are not new for you. And the more work you do, the higher your awareness gets. And so you can observe your behaviors and then make adjustments to those behaviors to come back into alignment with what's authentic and what feels right for you in terms of the path that you want to live. For some people, self-sabotage is happens so far outside of their awareness that their bitter, bitterness and resentment uh, is initially sent outward, you know, mm. and they blame their circumstances or they blame other people or they blame whatever else they can find to blame until they come to a place where they realise that self-sabotage has actually affected their entire relationship with themselves because that's what self-sabotage does. It erodes our sense of self-trust. We stop being able to trust ourselves to do the things we say we want to do. Mm -hmm. And instead, 
we do all these other things that get in the way of what we want to do, who we want to be, where we want to go. And so the part of the journey of self-sabotage is initially a raising of awareness. What are these behaviours that I'm doing that are inconsistent with who I want to be? Not only is Live Like a Life Coach in your pocket, but we have coaches in 3D as well. With our most recent upgrade, you can sign up for one-on-one coaching with a person on the phone who will hold you down, hold you accountable, and offer you perspective as you build your big, bad, beautiful new life. Apple users can sign up for our Premium Plus plan through the app or check out our next level and mastery options at loveisviral.com forward slash coaching. Android users, we haven't forgotten about you. Live coaching is available to you as well. Just reach out to us at dearlive at loveisviral.com and we'll fill you in on all the ways Live can create with you. Live Pocket Coach, welcome to your life. Do you think any of it, I, I'm sure it depends a lot on, on the way you were raised or what's kind of going on in your, your psyche, but do you think some of it is a fear of failure and or success? Oh, absolutely. Those two go hand in hand. Sometimes what comes with a fear of failure is around um, wanting to control judgment. So um, there's this drive to control image, image management, and that's very common for people who lean towards perfectionism. Fear of success can often come for people who don't trust themselves to handle the responsibility that will come from the success afterwards. So what happens if I achieve this thing, then what? Then who do I have to be? And can I maintain who I have to be if I've had that success? And sometimes it's easier to just stay in the comfort of not having even tried in the first place because A, you don't have to fail and B, you don't have to succeed and then keep succeeding. That's so funny. So one of my girlfriends, she's like a, she's a big shot uh, news anchor in New York. And before she moved to New York to get this job, she was here in Las Vegas and we were kind of hanging out one day and we had been talking about the fact that she wanted to, she's like, I need to, I need to get into a big city. I need to be in New York or LA or Denver. And I, I just had this feeling. I said, I have a feeling you're going to be found. Like someone's going to find you. And sure enough, a couple of months later, she got a phone call from someone who had happened to be visiting Vegas saw her on the news, wanted to interview her for an anchor position in in New York. And she got the job and we were hanging out at her house one time right before she moved. And she said, you know, it's funny. It's like, we've talked so much about the big thing and how I want to have this big career and you want to do this. And like, we're talking about all our dreams and we're manifesting them and we're bringing them in. She's like, and then you suddenly realize now I have to do the big thing. Yeah. And you're like, Oh my God. I I don't like, it's, it's kind of scary because it's suddenly it's, can I do it? Can I be successful? How, what is this going to require of me? How is my life going to change? And I'm curious, like for women who have recognized, maybe I'm not happy with my life, right? Or I want the big thing and it's on its way. How would you talk to them about moving from that awareness of self-sabotage? Like, what does it mean to create a brave or courageous life to lean into that fear of the big thing that's coming? I think the biggest skill, perhaps the most powerful skill we can ever develop is the skill to be able to sit in the discomfort and in the uncertainty. Um, One of the things that really stood out for me when you were just telling your story about your friends right then is this idea of imposter syndrome and Mm. how after we finally get the thing, we start to have these doubts or can start to have these doubts around, um, am I good enough? 
am I, do I really deserve to be here or was this an accident? And now people are going to find out that I'm actually not as good as what they think I am, you know? And the challenge there is then to be able to come to a place where we reestablish ourselves from a place of self-belief. But the thing is, self-belief can't be bought in some kind of can on a supermarket shelf. Um, Self-belief comes from evidence. And so we need to be able to sit with the discomfort of the big thing to perform, to practice, to do it over and over again, to then be able to develop the evidence for our brains that we can actually trust ourselves to do it. And Mm -hmm. evidence comes after action. So the hard part for people to be able to wrap their minds around is this idea that you need to do the thing before you feel confident, before you have the self-belief. It's not as easy as Instagram makes out in that you just need to believe in yourself and then these things will happen. That's rubbish. It doesn't happen like that. You go and do the thing and then your brain realizes that you can do it. Mm, I love that. I've had so many experiences. I remember specifically... There was one time before I retired, I was in, I was in finance and I had been invited to go to this really big, it was a ball in New York city. And it was a, all celebrity studded, big millionaires and billionaires were going to be there. I had to find a white dress, like literally in 24 hours and be on a plane to New York. And I remember getting there and being like, who do I think I am? Like, it was like that one moment where you're kind of having this like Cinderella, like, I don't really belong here. And I remember talking to someone about it and saying, I feel like I'm, I'm entering a new level. Like there's a new level waiting for me and I'm just dipping my toe into it. And this space that I'm entering are people who have faith in my ability. And they're, they've invited me to come to this because of our, our, burgeoning relationship or, you know, this, this new relationship. And I had to, for a second, almost see myself through their eyes yeah, because I didn't give myself enough credit for my gifts or my skill set. <clears throat> and so I almost had to like, in order to walk in there with the same confidence, I would walk into any other room. I had to be like, okay, they see me as this. I've clearly shown some type of value. Um, and I had to kind of like walk myself into it. And then once I nailed it and I did a great job and, you know, established fantastic relationships that continue to this day, I was like, okay, that was, I could now just go do that. Like you said, like I just got on a podcast and I'm like, I've got this. So sometimes I think it's like those moments when we have to get outside of our, our comfort zone and maybe even allow ourselves to see who other people see, right? Like if they're offering you the job or if they're inviting you to the thing, You've clearly shown value. Um, I don't know. I just think that's really interesting. I love the idea. Like, I, I'm totally a feminist in, in all ways. Um, still love men. Um, and I just think it's really interesting that we have... Um, I, I, I struggle with, like, the girl boss hashtags. I don't, I don't love that kind of stuff. But I do love the idea of more women coming into their voices, into their courage. We see more people, women in the United States, we see that more women in Congress um, going for office. Uh, more black women in Congress. Thank you very much. The rest of the world is cheering you on. Oh, I'm, it's, it's amazing to watch. Sometimes yeah. you watch between your, your fingers, but... Um, you see the world changing and you see Mm. more women coming to this place. And I think one of the things that has frustrated me, and I'm curious from your perspective, is like we have a tendency to look at some of these women who have courageous, brave lives as being masculine and almost an aggressive. And 
when you're talking to women about showing up in a courageous way, does that ever come up the way they're perceived? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think there is this idea that they need to be, they need to show up in a certain way in order to be counted, in order to have their voice counted. And I think that's a narrative that's very much come from the patriarchal uh, patriarchal society that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I always talk to women about in terms of how they show up is that you don't have to be hard to be brave. You don't have to be um, guarded. You don't need to, uh, I guess, come against the world in an abrasive way in order to be heard, in mm-hmm. order to be seen, if that's if that doesn't fit for you, you know. You don't need to be loud. Um, I'm not saying that any of those ways of being are wrong. I'm just saying I, I, I work with a lot of women for whom that doesn't come naturally, who instead um, feel introverted in a world that is designed for extroverts um, and feel very much that their way is softly and gently. And I think one of the things about defining our own paths as women is understanding that what's true for you is what's true for you. Um, Can we please step out of this comparative idea that we need to measure up in some way that's different in a society that would ask us to purchase our worthiness, um, to, uh, you know, have some invisible scale of enoughness that we have to uh, stand up against in order to see whether or not we, we can actually make it. So, I strongly encourage women to work out what feels natural for you because that is the only way that's going to be sustainable moving forward. Mm, I love that. There are rooms, there's room for every different style, but I think honestly if you're trying to be something that you're not because that's the way the narrative has told you you have to be, Mm -hmm. then you're only ever going to burn yourself out doing that. I I so agree. It's so funny. And I think this comes, of course, with age and time. You know, when I first started in finance in my 20s, I was like, I'd wear the power suits and fake glasses. And I called it my, um, I would have this, my hair, you know, back and I would try to like, you know, power bitch kind of thing going on. Yeah. And I hated it. It was, it was something that I put mm-hmm. on in order to feel like I could stand there with the guys. You know, I had to almost be, have a hard edge, I think, because I was young and female in a male dominated world. And after I had my daughter, I was like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. It doesn't feel right. And what I've learned is women have so much power and, um, we have such a way of being able to bring people together and to consensus and commune. Um, and we can be very powerful with our words without having to slam our fist down on a table or use language to masculinize ourselves. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, I enjoy seeing because I'm seeing more of it. Um, and I hope those that feel like they need to put the hashtag on and, and, and wear the, the, the suit and, I hope they move into that comfort of self a lot faster than some of us older. Yeah, if it's not, <laughs> or, if it's to... n- yeah, if it's not already comfortable for them, you know. Yeah. Like, I do think that if that makes you feel um, empowered in yeah. the deepest way, go for it. Absolutely, go for it. But on the other side, if that makes you feel like you're 
showing up in a mask, yeah, that's not going to fit for you. It's going to be exhausting. Yeah. And so instead shake it off and decide what you're going to be in um, as a face to the world but also what how you're inviting the world to see you. For me, A, I love ageing. Um, it's just brought me so many gifts as well as having a child which changed my entire perspective of everything. Um, but one of the things that it has shown me is that if I can't talk to you as who I am and who I truly am and what's showing up for me today, I'm going to just burn myself out and I'm not Mm. going to be able to keep showing up. So the only way I can do it is that when we sit together, you know that you're talking to the most honest and transparent version of Beck because that's how I always am, you know. That's the only way that I can maintain it. And I want to be doing this for a long time until my next reinvention, you know, sure there'll be one. Um, But until then, I want to make sure that I can continue in this way. So I can't hold myself to a version that is made up in some way or is trying to be a certain way because I feel like it makes somebody else feel comfortable. Um, It's just not sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's it's such an important and empowered way of of looking at yourself instead of putting something on in order to show up and be seen and be respected, showing up as you are. Um, and over time, as you become a thought leader or subject matter expert and you have your own field, it's like you said, you, you can take an interview and you're not nervous, you're not scared. I can get on a stage and I can talk about the things that I'm working on because I know them so intrinsically. They're, they're part of my DNA now yeah. that... It's you don't have to put anything on anymore. You're not proving yourself anymore. And I think that that, there's a a differentiation there. I love what you said about you enjoy aging because it's it's kind of funny. Like I have this love-hate relationship with it. I have decided that I'm becoming an oracle. That's my, (laughs) I told like my team, I was like, I'm totally cool with this. If I can be like the woman on the mountain that people come and ask questions of, like that makes me feel good, but I don't want to be like the old bitty. Um, So yeah, like I, I have like a, a weird relationship with it, but I, I do, I would never want to go back. You know, I'd never want to go back to my twenties or thirties and have to relearn those things. So yeah, I don't think, I think for me, aging is a freeing experience and I've, my wife and I intentionally live in a small community. There's only 3000 people in the town that we live in and we live on a mountain, <laughs> funny oh, you should lovely. say, I on a mountain, that. yes, in a hinterland area where people show up as they are. You know, it is yeah. very community-based, but it's also very let's get back to nature, let's, um, you know, people aren't necessarily out naked in the stream, or maybe they are, I don't see them. But, um, <laughs> you just don't notice them. Maybe it goes on. Um, but it's very, there's no pretenses around yeah. it. And I think for me, as I age, I, the freedom that's come has been letting go of any pressure to be something that I'm not. And that's yeah. actually not just aging that's brought that, it's love as well. It's being loved in such a way that I am seen for who I am and loved for who I am as imperfect as I am. And that's freeing in and of itself. And I just can't be bothered anymore. You know, you get to a certain age where you think, oh my God, I cannot be bothered 
to dress up for you. I cannot be bothered. And I, I mean that metaphorically as well, yeah. you know. I cannot be bothered to create this identity that I think you want from me. So instead yeah. what you're going to get is me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that, I mean, I. it's kind of funny. It's it's that miracle of, of experience and life and love. And um, I think that brings you to this space. And I didn't know that this existed, I don't yeah. think. And I, I don't think, I think it's kind of like a, a quiet secret, you know, that maybe <laughs> my parents yeah. didn't pass down. Um, but it's, it's kind of funny the, and even when you look at younger, um, folks, like even my daughters, like her babysitters and stuff like that, when we have conversations, sometimes I'm just like, and this is probably what our grandparents said to us, like, you'll see one day, right? Like, and yeah. I have been blessed with having really beautiful conversations with some, um, older, uh, individuals right before they passed and they left me some of the most beautiful messages that did not quite make it to my heart until later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was too young to really fully appreciate them. But there's such a freedom and such a kind of awareness that comes, I think, over time. Um, I wanted to ask you, there, there's the title of one of your books. I love the title of it. I wanted to ask you, like, anecdotally, if you have anything as to, to share as to why you, you chose this title. The Universe Listens to Brave. I chose that title because it's the last line of my most popular quote that I've ever put on Instagram, which is, she was never quite ready, but she was brave and the universe listens to brave. And I wrote that for myself. One night I was sitting on the couch and um, I think it was like 2016, 2017, early 2017 maybe, and something was happening for me that was emotional and um, scary and uh, Nissa, my wife, and I were discussing potentially having a baby mm-hmm. and um, I had never wanted children. I had never found a love that made me safe enough to want children before Nissa, and I was wrestling with this idea of, can I be a mother? Can I be a safe mother with the wounds that I carry? Mm. And how, who do I think I am to shape a little human in this world, a world that I'm not always that fond of? Um, and what does it mean to bring another human into this world with the responsibility to then keep that person safe um, and not break him? How do mm. I not break my child? Mm-hmm. Um And they were the words that came to me. And they've been true for probably everything big that I've done in my life. I have never felt ready, ever. But I've just taken my courage and gone with it. And then what tends to happen is the universe meets me halfway. I call it the universe. You might call it God. I don't know. I don't have any formal religious belief. But um, I like to relieve myself of the responsibility of being completely responsible for everything in my life. (laughs) And perhaps there's some other kind of force or power out there working with me. And here we are. And I'm the mother of a two and a half year old. And I'm in love with a woman that I never expected. She is not the six foot four cowboy that I was hoping would ride (laughs) the sunset. Um, And I'm not working as a clinical psychologist and I, now write books and, you know, work with my community on living braver lives. I, there, there are so many things that have happened that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't able to 
accept the uncertainty of never, ever feeling completely ready for something, but doing it anyway. I think that is so, like, there are so many people who sketch out their lives, right? They have kind of like the roadmap and we kind of, I feel like we mess kids up by, by doing this. Like this is, you're supposed to have this and you're supposed to, and you're going to get married and you should be of this religion and you should, and next thing you know, they're sitting in front of <laughs> a psychologist, therapist, whatever, and like help yep. me with unpack all of this stuff in my head. And what I've noticed is that when you create habits and know what values and characters characteristics are important to you, what kind of life you want to lead, not necessarily who's beside you or what career you have, but you kind of follow those things. Things show up in a much bigger way than you expected. Uh, Um, The twists and turns and opportunities that have come into my life just because I've been open to them mm -hmm. um, and I have allowed. And ever since I was a little girl, I made what do I want lists. Um, And I found some when when I was like a teenager in my room, like, what do I want? I want this. I want this experience. I want whatever. And I found them much later. And every single thing that I'd written down had happened in a much larger way than I had written it down. And it's become a practice for me. But I think the thing is, is like, I didn't hang on too tightly and I didn't listen to all of those things about this is the way my life, the architect of my life. I allowed some fluidity to it. And, um, I think that's the courage and the bravery that you talk about. Maybe it's also faith depending on what that universal higher power is, whatever that is. Um, But I think life shows up in a much bigger way when you're willing to have that bravery, that, that courage. And I love what you said about um, love as well, because the, the whole premise of this platform is the idea that if you love yourself, that that ripple is felt with the people that you love within your home, within your community, within the globe eventually. Um, the idea that if we're working on ourselves, this could create generational social change. So I'm curious, like from your perspective, like how does that resonate with you? Like what, what do you think about the idea that we can create change through the love we show even within our own lives? Oh, absolutely. I think our relationship with ourselves actually transforms our relationships with everybody else around us. Uh, Our relationship with ourselves defines those relationships. That's not to say that you can't love other people while you're struggling to love yourself. Um, But if you have a destructive and uh, critical and a wounded relationship with yourself that you're not working on, then you may find that there are other ways that that then manifests in your relationships around you. I really believe that when we start to treat ourselves respectfully and kindly and with um, an inherent belief in our own worth, what happens is people are drawn to us. I was actually having a conversation with another therapist the other day and he said, you know, I stopped caring what people thought of me when I was around 30. And he said, prior to that, my entire life was based on what I thought other people wanted of me. And he said, and you know what I realised? People liked me better when I was doing what I wanted for me. Mm. I think that is so true. Once you start approaching the world from a place of empowerment based on what you want for you, not what anybody else wants for you, then they know where they stand. 
the boundaries start to get set around you in a firm way. And what boundaries teach other people to do is how to treat you. They show other people about how you'll accept to be treated and therefore the quality of everything, the relationships that you have with yourself and the relationships that you have with other people improves. And so I guess the one caveat that I would throw to that is that I don't love the term Mm self-love and that's why my latest book, I was going to say late, I was going to say newest, it's not really new, it was published last year, but the latest book is The Art of Self-Kindness and the reason I use the term self-kindness is because when I was in clinical practice, I found that people, and it was honestly most clients, most people struggle with this um, relationship around am I good enough, am I worthy, and when I was actually working through those things with people, if I were to go from the place that they were to where this other destination called self-love is, it just created a chasm, which meant that they often felt like they couldn't get there. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. someone that needs to lose 70 kilos, you know, it's a huge task to imagine what it would be like to take the years to get that weight off. Sometimes for people who don't love themselves and have had a very destructive relationship with themselves, when they get into adulthood and arrive, you know, perhaps to do some work on themselves, if you then say, look, just love yourself, it can be not only invalidating for the wounds that they're carrying, but also feel far too overwhelming to even approach. So I much prefer the term self-kindness because it represents actions Mm. rather than self-love the noun. I know self-love can also be a verb, but self-kindness, we can think of how am I kind to my friends? How am I kind to animals? How am I kind to people in the street? And could I apply some of that kindness kindness to myself? Mm -hmm. It, It just tends to become more workable. I love that. I had someone one time ask me if I would be gentle with myself. I was going through a tough time. I just um, gone through a divorce. I was very raw. And and she just kept saying, go gently. And I think it was, I was being so hard on myself and I was so upset and I was, I, I struggled with self-worth at the time and my confidence. And I think that to me was kind of like, okay, how do I go gently with myself? Mm. And I think that's an easier kindness and, and gent- like those words are a lot easier, especially for someone who may have been taught at some point, especially depending on their religious ideology or what have you, that like to love yourself is selfish, right? And, you know, they have, they struggle with this whole like, well, am I full of myself? Am I self-absorbed? And I was like, go gently. I like that. I think that that makes sense to me in a way that I can comprehend and I can make actionable, like you said. Yes. And that's the most important thing because so often we can talk about these abstract psychological concepts that aren't translatable into day-to-day behaviours. And if you can't make it actionable, then you'll see no tangible change. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful things we can ever do is re-establish our relationship with ourselves from a place of worthiness. And so I really want that to be tangible for people. I want them to be able to think about, well, what does this look like for me? Yeah. I love it. I love this conversation. And I think that there's so much here and I hope that our listeners really, I feel like this is like a really soulful exchange and I hope that they really kind of feel that as they're listening, because what I want more than anything for, for people who listen for the world is this kind of awareness or moment of, of kind of like, I want to live a better life. 
Yeah. Not just for me, but also for my kids, for the person that I I sleep next to at night, for my community. I just, I think that there's so much opportunity to unpack our wounds so that we don't carry them on to others. And I just have so appreciated this conversation. Thank you for having me. Of course. And if anybody wants to follow you or pick up any of your books, they have great names. Where can they find you? Um, I'm at rebeccaray.com.au. Um, and we were talking about self-sabotage earlier. Mm-hmm. If people go to rebeccaray.com.au forward slash free, they can, that's F-R-E-E, they can access a free one-hour training on self-sabotage using the strategies that I've used to actually overcome the times when I've been attempting to trip myself up. So that's available at the website and I'm on all the socials as at Dr. Rebecca Ray and my books are in all good bookstores or online. I love it. I um, will put the link in the show notes so that people can find you. you. And I just want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining today. I love Rebecca's reminder that the more you do with fear present, the more your comfort zone grows. You can find Rebecca online at rebeccaray.com.au and on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at Dr. Rebecca Ray. Her podcast is Hello Rebecca Ray, and there are free resources linked in our show notes. As always, please subscribe, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. We are always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at dearlive at loveisviral.com. You can also find us on Instagram at loveisviral.media or visit our website at loveisviral.com. Apple users, don't forget to give the Live Pocket Coach a try by downloading it for free for seven days.